Well, hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. My name is Ian Cheeseman and delighted to have your company. This is a Manchester City podcast, although we do talk about other general footballing matters as well. And if you're a new listener, you're very, very welcome along. If you're an established listener, and I bump into lots of them as I walk around City's games doing filming for my uh, YouTube channel, who are very, very kind, and then I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, just to update you, I'm still looking for sponsorship in the hope to, to keep this podcast going. I do have sponsorship for the YouTube vlogs that I do, uh, which is very much appreciated. And one of those sponsors I'll mention at the end of the podcast um, as a little bit of an extra thank you to them. But at the moment, I have no sponsorship per se on the audio podcast. But for the next week or two, at least, we'll carry on going and we'll see where we get to. Um, right. Uh, I have two guests with me today from the Forever Blue team. Uh, they are Adam Adam P, because we've got two Adams. We've got an Adam W as well, but it's Adam P today. Um, and we have Will. And Will not only is a, a guest from time to time on the podcast, but he also helps me by doing some editing behind the scenes. And that is particularly relevant today, um, if you want to call him my producer editor, uh, because uh, I talked uh, on Friday to Rick Holden, the former City winger, and uh, he lives in the Isle of Man and he had some problems with his internet connection and was worried that it wouldn't work at the time we needed it to worry. And I'm glad that we did an experiment on Friday because his internet at that time did work. But without being too horrible to him, he found it difficult to connect and it took a while. So we did record something and you're going to hear that interview in just a few moments. Um, but he's not with us in this discussion as we record it on the Sunday evening, the day after the Newcastle game. So the two lads, or certainly Adam, hasn't heard that interview, but because Will is is my editor-in-chief, you have you listened to it all the way through, Will? Have you heard some of it, or and what did you think of it? Yeah, I listened to it all the way through. He's um, fit before my time, but he certainly seems like an interesting bloke. He's, he's got a strong opinion on a lot of things, so yeah, definitely an interesting listen. So that's that's coming up in a, in a few minutes. Uh, just to, to give you a little bit of an idea of who he, he is, Rick Holden, um, he's, he's coming up to 60 years of age. He was born in Skipton. He was a winger. He, he made his name really at Oldham Athletic, where he was from 89 to 92, with 129 appearances, and that was under Joe Royal. And then he came to City in those early 90s and played 51 times and scored three goals before returning to Oldham for a second stint. So that's where he's best known at Oldham. And in that interview, you'll hear him mention Oldham a couple of times. But it's his time at City I was most interested in and those opinions that he has. And always was a character, always was, a, I thought, a very skillful uh, winger who I really enjoyed um, watching and, and talking to as well. So we'll hear that in a little while. But let's start by looking back on what we've seen in the last week since we did the last podcast, which is, um, for me anyway, a trip to Greece, to Athens, steamy hot Athens, to watch City uh, take on Sevilla in the Super Cup. And earlier today, I actually went on a picture with uh, the trophies now, four of them gleaming there, the AGM of the official supporters club. And the Super Cup's quite a nice trophy, but I thought it was a little bit of a struggle to get past Sevilla, if I'm being honest. It took a... Um, you know, a goal by Cole Palmer, who may still leave the club if rumours are to be believed, perhaps on a permanent deal. Uh, but he was playing on the right-hand side, the right wing. And and it's funny, if you, if you watch the, the vlog that I did from the Newcastle game, a guy called Carl was on there. I don't name him, but you'll know who it is. Um, he did a nice little write-up on his trip to Greece. And he said that 
he was sat in his seat very close to the touchline within earshot of Pep Guardiola. And he's himself a coach. And we've had Carl on the programme on the pod before, might have him on again in the future. A very eloquent uh, gentleman from, from America. And he's a, a big, passionate coach. And he was talking about what Pep was saying to Cole Palmer, how he was coaching him, how impressed he was. Um, and it was really fascinating. That's why I got him on the, the video, the vlog yesterday. Um, and that insight is, is something that, we don't all get, even I, where I sit in my season card seat. I'm too far away to hear what Pep has to say. But you can see on the touchline, you know, I think I've said this before. We all agree. I know that Pep is just an absolute genius. It seems to not matter who he signs. Uh, Kovacic, a player who I looked at at Chelsea and thought, yeah, it's OK. Now starts to look a lot better. Um, and it doesn't matter who he brings it. I reckon if Will and Adam were in City's midfield next week at Sheffield United, whilst initially, under any other coach, I might think to myself, you're picking Adam and Will in midfield for City. But then I'd think, no, hang on a minute, this is Pep. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to get the best of them. And I'd have every confidence that they would do the job. So that build-up, <laughs> City, that I'm going to bring the two lads in in a minute, City then played Newcastle at the weekend, who I think will at least be contenders in that top four or at the very least six. So one of the best teams in the Premier League. And they did it without several players, players who've gone like Gundogan and Riyad Mahrez, but also without John Stones, without Kevin De Bruyne, without Bernardo. And yet they still won. They still deserve to win as well against a very, I thought, good Newcastle side who started the season well with a an impressive victory. So I, what, what have we all got to worry about? I was watching Chelsea this afternoon at West Ham and they look very, very poor, actually, and ordinary, despite the repeated money they spent. United lost at Tottenham. They never do that. Where's the challenge going to come from? What Adam, what, what have you drawn from watching City in Greece against Sevilla, followed by Newcastle? Just just give sum it up for me. Well, we always we always come in sluggish. Uh, you know, we finish the season late. We come back to pre-season late. So there's always a worry in the early in the early weeks that we're not going to be at our best. And I think it's clear to everyone that we're not at our best. Like you say, we struggle to get past Sevilla, which you know, in the middle of the season, you'd expect us to to win that game comfortably. Uh, you know, Newcastle may or may not be a, a, a top end side this season, but we, you know, we sort of laboured to a one 0 win. Although I think I think we were a far better side than Newcastle, uh, we usually seem to beat them more than one. Um, so I don't go into the start of the season, and you always get you always get unpredictable results. Like you said today with Chelsea and West Ham, you always get unpredictable results in the, in the first few weeks of the season. Anyway, so I just feel like it's just a bullet to be dodged until you get into your stride you know the first month or so you just want to pick up some points and 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 not have too many injuries um so i'm glad we've just got the six points on the board we've got the the super cup on the shelf although it's not a trophy that i was particularly worried about uh but yeah it's a great start to the season we get some players back hopefully stones isn't out too long i don't really know what's up with him I think he's got a hamstring, but whether it's a full pull on a month or yeah. just a, a sort of irritation, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like we need him back. And, and Bernardo is one of my favourite players. I feel definitely that we need him back. Uh, suddenly, I'm no, I've never been one of these people who thinks that we need a bigger squad. I'm always quite happy with Pep's small squad. But just at the moment, that squad is feeling a bit 
a bit limited and the team's almost picking itself. With all that said, I'm surprised that uh, Cole Palmer might be on his way out because I thought with Mares going, Bernardo not playing at the moment and maybe needed in the middle, that this would be the chance for Palmer. So it's a bit upsetting, I think, because I, I like the look of Palmer when he first broke through. Uh, I wanted him to stay in and see if we could have one more season where he could make a breakthrough, but maybe that's not going to happen. But I do feel like we need another body or two in before the window closes, to be honest. Obviously, City have been linked with Paqueta, and we also know that this week he's had these sort of suggestions of impropriety in betting hanging over him. Uh, and it, so it may not happen just for that reason. But nevertheless, you know, I watched him today and whilst he had a shot that went just past the post, which wasn't too bad, it seemed a little temperamental. But I go back to what I said at the beginning, which is if you two were picked, you know, and, and Pep believed in you, I wouldn't have any worries. So despite, if, if City were a normal club, which they're not at the moment, they're an exceptional club where everything's done absolutely correctly on the field. If they were a normal club and you were just picking a player, almost like Chelsea are doing, you know, you're identifying an individual and hoping you can make a team out of it. That's not how City do it. But if I was doing that with Paqueta, I'd be going, stay clear, stay clear, don't touch him. But I'm sure that if he is found not guilty, no charges happen to him, etc., and Pep signs him, I'm just confident he'll be a great player um, because that's what Pep does. Is Have you got any views on that? Well, I don't see I don't see him getting the all clear between now and the end of the month anyway. So as far as I'm concerned, that's going to be that's a dead deal, whether he's innocent or not. I've no idea, but I, I can't. Don't think he'll get anybody before the end of the month. Oh yeah, sorry, I spent Paqueta specifically. I just don't see him. I just don't see that happening. Uh, we must get somebody else in. If, if you know, if, if we're looking at two, if we was looking at two signings last week, not you know, nothing's changed. We still need at least one. I would I would hope for two. I would like a I would like a wide man really. Uh, I think we have enough. I think we have enough quality that can play in the middle. I really would love to see Foden get a regular run, you know, playing as a, a number eight. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see us get a wide man in, basically. What have you made of the last couple of games and couple of couple of weeks, really, I suppose, Will? Um, I mean, I've been quietly impressed. I, I was half worried that after the treble win, sort of, uh, maybe the motivation might go. You know, once you've won it all, it's hard to go and win it all again. But I think Pep's Pep's got the players going. The the Super Cup itself, before the game, I wasn't too bothered. I almost looked at it as like a the European charity shield, you know, if we win it's only a, a meaningless warm-up friendly. But I was I was pretty pleased to win on penalties towards the end. You know, I was nervous and I was glad we got the result. Um it's just another another notch in the belt. I, I wish we'd uh, I wish we'd brought it out start the game yesterday you know we paraded the treble trophies but we didn't bring out the super cup which was one we won two days ago so uh, um and the result against newcastle again like you said earlier that they will be a top four team and any result against a, a top four competitor is an excellent result and the fact that we ground it out with a lot of first team players missing you know they were on a, a run of confidence as well um it's it's a good time to be a blue um in terms of the incoming players, I think, well, let me go to Cole Palmer first. Obviously, I'm, I think the City support are, are split 50-50 as to whether to keep him or let him go. I, I, I would keep him. Um, I think, like you say, he's, he's with the right manager to, to let him progress and to let him flourish. Um, but he's, he's come out and said, you know, if, if City do bring somebody in, which 
it looks like we will. Um, he'd probably be looking to move on. And maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe to be an exceptional team, as you call it, Ian, you have to be cutthroat. And a team like United might look at a, a youth talent with such as Palmer and say, right, we'll, we'll give him two or three years and it might not have worked out and we'll sell him for 20 million. And really that's two or three years wasted. So who knows? I mean, like I say, I would keep him. I think he has got the talent, but I wouldn't be surprised if we bring in another right winger in the next two weeks. You make a very good point there about how a different club might handle it and maybe we would have different handled it differently in years gone by when we weren't this exceptional club that we are. Uh, I feel sorry, really, in a way, because Palmer's another product coming through the youth setup, and we as fans tend to have a stronger association with players who are through the youth setup. I mean, obviously, Rico Lewis is very popular at the moment. Phil Forden is, you know, uh, an, an icon to many Mancunian City fans in particular. And Cole Palmer sort of fits into that category. But that you're right, City have got to be got to be cutthroat, haven't they? Yeah, and it's. I think he he's looking at his 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 chances now as almost putting himself in the shop window. You know, how much money can we get for him as a as a when you see some of the money flying about for other youth products going to Premier League teams, I, I would expect 40, 50 million for Cole Palmer if we were to sell him. I, I really do rate him that highly. And I think Pep does too. With You know, obviously he doesn't start a lot of games, but he's always in and around the squad. He's always coming off the bench. And the, the, the two goals that he scored in recent weeks uh, in the Community Shield and in the in the Super Cup shows he, he fits into the team. You know, he's, he's not a lost little boy there. He, he gets involved. He takes people on. Like I say, I'd love to keep him. I think he, he does have a future, but it's 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 a it's a hard industry to break into and an even harder one to stay there. Absolutely. I mean, off the field, uh, I, I presume all three of us were down at the Etihad yesterday. Um, and if you had a chance, you, you weren't, Adam, were you not? No, uh, when... I've, um, I've decided I'm not going to go this season, Ian. Oh, all right. Well, that's fair enough. But you're obviously consuming it on, on TV, yeah. which a lot of fans do, and not everybody has to or is even able to go to every game. So there's no there's no um, prejudice, if you like, in that. So uh, this is perhaps interesting for you, as Adam, as, as much as it is to people who are not used to going to the games. But a lot of building work going on there at the moment. People will be aware that the uh, the new arena is being built, which is scheduled to open around about December time. And, it, it you know, it's funny because when I walked around towards the end where the arena was, because they've knocked down the old shop, City Square has gone. And there's a lot of rubble in that area. Um, it's, it's just a psychological thing. But suddenly that arena seemed nearer to the Etihad Stadium than it was before the summer because there was buildings and things that that, that marked out that space before and suddenly thought, they moved the arena, seems a lot closer. And the arena is something I'm sure we will talk about more as the time for it opening approaches because there will be clashes with games, there will be more congestion, uh, parking, for example, trams, tra uh, all that sort of thing is going to become an issue. And despite people perhaps in a way naively thinking that everything will be avoided, that they'll never clash. They will clash and it will be a problem around there with increased capacity at the Etihad eventually and the new arena. But in, in terms of that end, um, if you've not been and you go into the next game against Fulham, you can walk around. It's a bit of an extended walk around the old area where the shop was and where City Square was. Um, but it's it, there's all a big fence around it. They haven't really started to build anything, but you can see a lot of demolition work going on. And then the 
old city at home, as they used to call it, which was an administrative centre, down near where the Mercedes garage used to be, is now the shop. That is where the shop is, and that will exist now probably, I would imagine, for two or three years until the whole of the building complex is finished. So it's quite different. Did you wander around the stadium, Will? Did you see any of this, or did you just go to your place, watch the game and go home again? Well, I come in through the Met, which is at the, the shop side, and I obviously walk all the way around the stadium to the south stand. So I, I did notice it. I did, I did see everything you just mentioned. I, I felt with all the boards up, it felt a bit almost... For the first sort of two or three minutes coming into the campus, it felt a bit soulless because, you, like you say, you couldn't see any shops. You couldn't see the stadium properly. It was just a load of boards and people being fenced through. So that was a bit strange. But, yeah, as soon as you get back into the main sort of open area, it felt like being at home again. Um, I am excited. I mean, obviously, there is concerns about you know, the stadium and everything like that. But to truly be a world club, I think you need things like this. You need to be attract. You need to be attractive to... To people who aren't necessarily City fans as well, you've got to give people a reason to come to the stadium and to see what's about. So I am excited. I, I completely agree with the uh, the stadium, though. Now that the building work's all done, it really does loom over. It looms over what City Square used to be, and it's a, it's a big sort of, um, what's the word? I, I wouldn't say blot on the landscape. But like it's a monolith. <laughs> yeah, it's very noticeable. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And and again, other things I can tell you if, you if you weren't at the game is that there is no city square entertainment like there used to be, but they do now do something similar at the main entrance where the players go in. So there were always times when they gathered there, but now they do all that pre-match stuff in that area. And as I was walking behind near where you came in, Will, up Joe Mercer Way, the, one of the first voices I heard was that a guy go up to one of those people who were here to help on their back, and he said, where's Summerby Bar? Just just said it like that, where's Summerby Bar? And and I and I thought at that time, because I hadn't seen anything, uh, I hadn't really properly explored it, I just thought, it's gone, mate, you know, there is no Summerby Bar. But then I, when I walked around to the other side from the main entrance, where the Citizens' Suite is, the Commonwealth Suite is, where the three statues are, there was a temporary Summerby Bar, and there were lots of people stood in that area there. And although there were a few Newcastle fans as well knocking around, I thought, this is quite a nice little atmosphere here. People have got more room. There's no roof, so when it's raining, it might not be as pleasant, but there's it seemed quite a pleasant surrounding. Uh, again, Will, did, is that something that you looked at? Did you notice any of that? Well, I, I, I go I go past the main entrance, so I see like the, the DJ and I see all the, the Shabazz of bringing the, the players in, but I don't go around the other side, so I didn't see that. But it is funny that you mentioned Summer Bubar because I know some people whose whole routine is based around going to the Summer Bubar before the game, so they must have been shell-shocked to see that it wasn't there. Uh, one thing I also noticed was in the South Stand, the um, the new sort of bar pub area that they've done, it started off a bit quietly last season, but a lot more people are aware of it now, and that was absolutely jam-packed as well. Uh, at least half an hour before kickoff, it was absolutely heaving, and I think, yeah, they basically have to encourage people, right, go, on, go to your seats now. They have to push them into the stadium because it seems like people want to stay there, really. I think that's totally revolutionised the atmosphere in that stand, that bar. I was going to ask you, Adam, I mean, obviously when you're inside the stadium, it, it, you get a different experience than when you're watching on TV. So when you were watching that game, did you sense that 
because it was the first game, seven away games, competitive away games, since we last played at home. Chelsea at home, when we lifted the Premier League title, was actually the last game at the Etihad. Did it feel like the crowd were more up for it yesterday against Newcastle? Was it louder? Uh, I don't know about louder. I feel like, I, and I don't know if I was getting this off, off the telly or, or just because it's in my own mind, but I feel like there's a different mentality this season and that having done the treble last season means it's a, it's a more sort of uh, celebratory, triumphalist, you know, it's less, uh, less uh, I don't know what's the word, less grizzled and battle-hardy now and more uh, celebratory, you know, because we're, we're, we're the top dogs now. So uh, it's let's go out and enjoy ourselves kind of attitude. More chilled, but I, I did feel it was a little bit noisier than normal, personally. Yeah, 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 triumphant, I would say. Yeah, and obviously the club did well with the stuff that, again, I don't know what was shown on TV, but they dropped two big flags down from the stand opposite where the cameras are, as well as bringing one of those, a bit like at Wembley, where they bring the thing and cover the pitch. They mm. didn't bring it all the way over. They left enough room for where the players line up and they play the Premier League anthem. But they did that very, very well, I thought. And, uh, and and it all added to the spectacle. But then that's what the club is these days. It's it's trying to attract a different type of fan. I mean, I remember when ice hockey was massive in Manchester, when it first started at the uh, what was then the 9X Arena, and they made a big deal out of having the cube in the middle over the ice, which was an Americanization of it. And they had Arnold Schwarzenegger coming on, going, I'll be back, you know, when it got to the interval and everything. And, and the whole thing was aimed at making an ice hockey match appeal to people who are not necessarily ice hockey fans. And I can't help thinking there's a little bit of that now going on at City that the match becomes an experience. It's not just about the 90 minutes of the football or the 115 minutes as it these is these days, but it's about the the razzmatazz, the build-up and everything like that. And there'll be traditionalists uh, who don't necessarily approve of that and don't want to buy into it. And there'll be plenty of people with their cameras taking pictures for Instagram and all the rest of it, who absolutely love it. And I suppose from your answer before, Will, you embrace whichever side that goes and see it as, and this is an unfair, possibly an unfair phrase to use here, but a necessary evil. How, how would you sum it up? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And um, like you say, any sort of mega club worth the salt has to be doing some sort of you know experience and improving the commercial activities. However, I don't think City have forgotten about the legacy fans or haven't yet anyway. That like I say with the, the pub that the pub bar area that implemented in the South Stand, I think that is a nod to the the sort of traditional match going fans of instead of you know being out the stadium and hanging around town for an hour before kickoff, get in the stadium. The quicker we can get you in the stadium in the seats making an atmosphere, the better it makes the club look. You know, because in the past, you'd see sometimes the players walking out the tunnel and half half of the stadium is still in the concourse trying to neck a last beer before they come to the seats. So I think if the club makes an effort to get everyone in earlier and, like I say, then start to push them out to the seats 10, 5 minutes before kickoff, it works both ways. It makes the club look good, but the fans are appeased too. But yeah, as, as, as long as they keep that balance between trying to find the the new fans and the revenue and the commercial incomes, but not forgetting the, the traditional fans, then I'm happy with it. 
I'm going to ask this question to you, Adam, non-judgmentally, and please take it as a non-judgmental question. It's just out of curiosity because it, it's sort of part of the debate. You were on City Matters Committee. You're an absolute passionate blue going to all the home games. And you've said in this podcast, not going this season. Are you prepared to say why? What is it? Is it money? Is it something else? I mean, what, what's your reason? There's a, there's a lot of reasons, really. I don't know. I, I'll answer it. I'm happy to answer it. I don't know how interested people are into he into hearing about it, though. Uh, it's just it's just a general disaffection with the modern game, and uh, and the, and the doing the treble last year was kind of uh, just felt like the the end of a journey for me, really. And uh, you know, I've I've been going since the mid seventies, and I've seen a lot of ups and a lot a lot of downs, and then some more ups again. Uh, and I just wasn't really I'm not really ready for the new season I'm still coasting on the on the Istanbul wave and um I just don't feel quite really that I want to go anymore is is all it is I mean the kickoff times the prices the the wave you know the the charity shield I didn't really like the way they dealt with the charity shield tickets um just a, a, a whole lot of disaffection really with modern football is all it is well, that's a very good and fair and honest answer. I mean, I met you out in Istanbul. You know, you you spent money, you spent time, effort to get out to Istanbul. And some people listening will think, well, and he's not going to the Etihad, which is just around the corner. Yeah. But the way yeah. you've just explained that, and I don't think you're unique in saying that, by the way. I mean, I've talked to a, a lot of fans, particularly older fans, who've said exactly what you've just said, that that was almost like the end of a chapter. I've also talked to people who are out in Greece and said, why did you go to Greece? Are you going to go to Saudi Arabia in December? And one lad who is a regular contributor to this podcast said, I'm going to go to Greece and I'm going to try to go to Saudi Arabia because those are two things I've not experienced before, two trophies we've never played for before. But I think I might miss the Champions League games this season. Because I've seen it before and I've been there before and I've done that before. So it, it is a, it does feel as if for some fans, obviously not all, because Wembley was full of a certain type of fan. So they're going to fill the seats because of the success that they're having. But for a certain type of fan, it, it does feel like it might be the end of an era. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for as much as I had the time of my life in Istanbul, I really was unimpressed with how. The fans were treated really. The you know the shocking state of the transport and UEFA really don't seem to care. It's all about the money. Um, so I would even say if we got to the Champions League final again, I wouldn't even go to that again. I don't think I've done that once now, and uh, I'm so glad I did. But yeah, it's kind of uh, scratched that itch really. I don't feel I need to do it all again. Fascinating. Do you feel like the jeopardy's gone a bit? Do you feel like even if we don't win the Premier League this season, it's okay? Uh, well, there's uh, there's always another there's always another challenge, isn't there? There's you know we want to win four in a row or to try and do back to back Champions Leagues, and also I'm um, you know a bit of a, a trophy counter. I want to catch up. I want to catch up to the likes of Liverpool and United and Ferguson for all his twenty years or whatever. He only won two Champions Leagues, so I want to see Pep do two, and if he does two, I want to see him do three. Um, you know we win another title that's four in a row, then I want to win five in a row. So I don't I don't lose the hunger for trophies. It's just the way I feel as a, as a fan, I feel like we're constantly given this message to just sit at home and watch it on TV. And eventually, I'm just I'm just kind of taking that message. When I was on City Matters, it 
I would say at least 50% of all the things that people said to me were, have a word with the club about the ticket prices. And my response to that was always, they're always going to go up. And all you, the only weapon you've ever got as an individual is to keep your pound in your pocket. And every individual person has their own, their own breaking point. What is too much to pay or how many times can you be messed around with kickoff times? And every individual has their own level of sacrifice they like to make and everyone has their own breaking point. And this is just this is just mine. I'm certainly not trying to say I'm not trying to lead any campaign or, or boycott. I'm just saying I'm just tired of, of being messed around as a match going fan, really. Well, I really appreciate your honesty because it will reflect the, the mood of some fans. Not all. Some people will like what I say and not like some of what I say. Same with Will. Same with everybody that contributes. But one of the things that makes us a healthy football family is that, for now at least, we all have our own opinions and we're all able to and willing to express them. So there's nothing wrong with a bit of honesty. And talking of honesty... Um, let's come to this Rick Holden interview now. Now, Rick Holden is a player who I saw play. I saw him play for Oldham as well, but I saw him for play for City. And he was a player I really enjoyed watching. And and I, uh, you'll hear me uh, in a moment in the interview describe him as a maverick. And the word maverick wasn't meant to be in any way insulting. He knows that. Um, you'll hear that in the interview. But it, football today seems very clinical. It's very, I mean, watching City is amazing. I love it. But it's it's played on perfect pitches. In theory, we now have perfect referees and VAR. I know it doesn't quite work out like that sometimes, but that's what they're trying to aim for. The stadiums have become more perfect. I went to Luton Town's Kenilworth Road on the way to Greece. Make sure you look at the, the YouTube vlog that I did on that and you'll see how it is, that stadium now in its state of reconstruction but I didn't go in it and I've got to tell you the place is a dump I don't think there's any other way of saying it, it is a dump it's not suitable for Premier League football and that is unusual but I'll tell you what it'll have character because it hasn't gotten the soil eating the games could be rock hard in the winter or cold off it none of this sort of sanitized football happens and Rick Holden was from that era when football was different every week where referees made mistakes, where pitches varied, some were wider, narrower, and the whole thing was different. And there was something to be said for that, I've got to say, as much as I love the modern football and particularly the way City are playing. And Rick, I think, epitomises that time more than anybody. So this is an interview that I did a couple of days ago, and uh, I started by asking him to share his memories of his time at Main Road, because that's where City were back in those days. Well, I mean, it, it's funny that, you know, our things have, you know, mentioned. Um, I, I think that I was, I didn't fulfil my time at City how I wanted to, um, but... Amazingly, people say that, you know, that they enjoyed me being there. Um, I came as um, I answered to questions to create goals, which is what I did at Oldham. But we missed loads of chances at City. You know, I couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, times that we created opportunities and we didn't score. I couldn't believe it. So... Um, but I love my time at City. It was um, very fulfilling. I met some great people. It was one of the prime of my life, you know, 29 years old, you know. And 
I, 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 I massive affection for Man City anyway, you know. Uh, not United. Um, so it was a dream come true, but it just didn't quite work out, you know. It's just un and that's what happens to people's careers, you know. You know? It was all down to Joe Royal, I suppose, wasn't it? And uh, the great era you had at Hol Oldham before you came. Uh, but you were always felt to me a little bit of a maverick. Was that how you would describe yourself? Well, it's it's an interesting description because um, what is a maverick? You know, is it someone who speaks his mind? Is it someone who, who displays different fervor on a pitch? Um, yes, I, I I wasn't in uh, a mindset to. Um, I was a team player. I'll never have that taken away from me. But I. I I did my own thing, and if that's what a maverick is, but I was also, you know, luckily educated, and I had points of view. I went to a grammar school. I got three. I've got now three science degrees behind me, um, including the master's degree, and it doesn't sit comfortably with some people. So they label you maverick when all you'd been is just a grammar school educated human being, you know. So. You know, football didn't encounter, didn't like people who had, were outspoken. You know, who who said things against the grain, and I fell out with lots of people. Not only, not deliberately, but I just couldn't understand their thinking. Like Alan Hardy, who's a really good friend, is a really nice bloke. But when we come on to football matters, he's the CEO and still incumbent, something like. Uh, Oldham. I saw him the other night when we played Halifax, lost. Uh, Halifax was a better team, by the way. Um, he's still there, you know, hanging around. And he never got on with me, and I had this suspicion that he didn't like my education, you know. Because I was, okay. I, I saw through him, you know, if you, if you see what I mean. What about the city then? Was it different? I mean, it obviously was a bigger club. Not exactly the same. Was, uh, city was a big club, but it was exactly the same. I mean, um, the chairman who I met, who you all know him, we'll call him AKA Shredded Wheathead. Um, he said to me, you, You've come to solve my problems, have you? I said, I don't think so. I said, Your problems have been going on for like 25 years. And that was, you know, the chairman. Do you think that, you know, I use the word maverick and I certainly didn't do it unkindly. It was meant to be a compliment, really. Do you think the fact that you are your own man, clearly highly educated, uh, but also willing to plough your own furrow was what gave you that talent? Or, uh, I mean, your mercurial left foot, was that just natural? Was it was it worked at? I mean, yeah, it's both. What you were, both. Yeah. Hmm. No, it's both. So I do I do some individual coaching for kids, like trying to get them off the Alaman, uh, which is a, a desert with the odd oasis. And I ask them to put backspin on the ball. And they've been at the Alaman Football School of Excellence for eight years, from eight to 16, let's say. Yeah, OK. Ballpark figure. Decade. And I ask them to put backspin on the ball and they can't do it. So I have to show them how to do it. And it's really dis you know, it's dispiriting, really. And 
when I was at Watford, I bumped into this fantastic genius called Glyn Hodges, who was one of the best left-wingers this country's, well, Britain is Welsh, you know, origin, but, you know, played for Wales, but, I mean, he's South London origin. And I spent a lot of time with him. Um, we used to go out on the pitch, me, him, Neil Redfern, um, one or two others, and we would spend hours hitting balls with different types of spin. Yeah. So we'd put back spin on it, top spin, left to right spin, right to left spin. How we would negotiate the ball into a certain area in the box. So obviously you had to have natural talent to be able to pull this off. But at the same time, you needed to be educated into how you do it, you know, did it. And Glenn was really a good educator and he showed me how to do it, you know. And I latched onto it pretty quickly with my sports science stuff I was doing at Carnegie. And I worked out how every cross is slightly different. You've got to maybe hit it with backspin so it hangs up in the air so that the likes of Dave Bamber or Paul Wilkinson can get time to go around the back and head it in. Or you put it along the floor so Roger Palmer can just sneak in and tap it in. You you work out these scenarios. And the more that we did it, the more it dawned on me that that was the important ingredients into working it out as a winger. You didn't just cross it. You did it with, with some substance. And that's probably where I learned it from, you know. Glenn Hodges was a fantastic guy, you know, and still is. When you watch I'm seeing like. When you watch the modern Manchester City who are currently the European champions, Premier League champions, and regarded as one of the, the best teams ever, do you see that worked at talent among the players? Is that down to the, the coaching? And obviously that's something so. anyway. Is it is it yeah. down to natural talent? And and do you admire the sort of way that football I massively goes? listen. I've got, I've, you know, there's no way I'm, I'm decrying a modern player. I mean, I think they're as good as we were, you know. And um, I, my, my go-to get-to is Argentina because they produce the greatest players of all time. You know, they do. You know, Mario Kempes, Diego Maradona, uh, Lionel Messi, Julian Alves. Now, you know, and they produce these fantastic talented people but they still need direction you know and so they've had really good people behind them I mean Scaloni's obviously very talented in his man management uh, but they had Bellardo they had uh, Carlos Menotti you know they, they, they seem to get the best out of these fantastic talents and I just think we we fall short of that somehow. We, we don't, you know, Paul Gascoigne is George Best and all in Northern Ireland, but do we get the best out of them? But Argentina seemed to produce it. All right, they went 36 years without winning a World Cup, but I can see them winning the next World Cup, you know, they're that good. So the way I look at football is, you know, it's 90% nurture, but find the talent, which is 10%, and, and try and impress upon them, you know, which Argentina do, 
and we're trying to do with the women's game is great, you know, um, the importance of getting it done properly. And when I watch Man City, I, I see a very accomplished team, but I do worry about them that they're, they're not quite... I mean, they, they can't sell Alvarez. There's no way they can sell him. If De Bruyne goes, we've got to find someone else in there, you know, sort of um, a talent that can pass the ball and, and mix. I mean, they were passing it about so much, it was infuriating at the back. We need to get forward and, and, and do what Argentina do and attack, you know. So I'm a bit worried about them. I don't know if they're going to win the league, to be honest, this year, but hopefully they will. When you, when you look at a player like Cole Palmer, who's a much-discussed player at the moment, he's mm. a winger, obviously he's a left-footed player, you were left-footed, but you played down the left for City, and now the fashion is to play as an inverted winger, and I see Palmer, who I've watched through the youth teams, etc., as a yeah. raw talent, and I think to myself, is Pep going to turn him into a great player? So there's a couple of subjects here you could mm. talk about, inverted wingers, that yeah. Cole himself, and whether Pep well, is... Is a genius when it comes to bringing whatever players it is. I think. I think um, what what you can say about um, Pep is that he does seem to get the best out of people, but it can run dry. And one of the things that you need to do is create chances, don't you? Obviously, and Harland, for example, it strikes me he's not Andy Ritchie, he's not Ian Marsh, he doesn't run in behind much. Well, occasionally he does. But he's a predator, right? So if you've got a predator, you need service. So what they need is, is wingers to produce this. So obviously Pep will have it, you know, he'll have his eye on this, you know, obviously. So how are you going to create these chances? So you need wingers. So they got rid of Mares and he created lots of goals, you know, and you gotta you gotta replace them. Um I love Foden, I mean, local talent. But, I mean, where's he going to use him? You know, to me, he's a winger, but he likes to play in midfield. And this is vogue of playing in midfield all the time. Well, do you know what? When I was playing, I'll tell you what, I didn't want to play in midfield. Willie Donachie, who's a massive Man City legend, said to me, we want you to play the Georgie Hadji role, he said to me in 1991. I said, Willie... I can't do it. I said, I'm not George Hatchie for one. Yeah. And I don't want to do it for two. I want to be out there wide and crossing the ball onto Andy Rich's head, Ian Marshall's head, Roger Palmer's head, Frankie Bunn's head, all these legends, you know, Paul Mould and Dave Curry. We had six strikers at Oldham. And they said, why did you cross the ball so much? I said, well, the reason was because all the lads were in the boat. You know, basically, when you look at somebody like Jack Grealish, then who is playing in a wide oh, position, he's not a winger and he's not a left footed like you on the left. No, and, and he's, no. And he's, he's and confused, he's, he is, Jack. Uh, I, I'd get hold of him tomorrow, I'd love to spend two hours with him, I'd show him so much stuff, it's unbelievable how to dribble it on his right foot, like John Robertson, and trigger it and cross it. Yeah, I could show him so much detail. But I, I never get a chance, obviously, because you're just isolated when, you, when your time's up, your time's up. And they, they have massive suspicion about you. 
They think you want to take over, but you don't. You just want to help. But I could spend two hours with Jack Grealish. I'd turn him into a proper winger. I'd slow him down for a start. Do a Johan Cruyff, put your foot on the ball. Accelerate off from a standing start, which nobody can cope with. Pull it away from players, cross it, goal, you know. But he's... The trouble is he gets so isolated and he's a maverick that when he gets the ball, he thinks he has to like take on the world in five minutes and that's why he confuses himself and runs into trouble. So, you know, I, I've got loads of time for Jack Grealish. I think he's our best player. I mean, I spoke to Joe Royal recently and he said, we had a good laugh and he said, what would you do? I said, well, I'd pick Jack Grealish and 10 others for England and he agreed with me. So, well, you obviously you need, you need you know, to educate him. Don't think because he's on, on you know, um, I don't know how much a year, you know, let's say he's on five million a year or something. Don't assume that because he's on that sort of way that he knows what he's doing. You've, you've mentioned a couple of t well, obviously, we know that you loved Oldham Athletic as well, but you said we and our and all. You have a, a lot of affection for City by the sounds of it. Massive, yeah. Every time I watch them play, I want them to win. Simple as that. Yeah. Um, how could he not, you know, when you spend uh, <laughs> half of your funny? Well, it, great stories as well. I mean, they were probably my best ever stories at Man City, you know. People like Niall Quinn and Sam Ellis and all these wonderful characters, you know, that you met at this great football club. Um, you cannot, um, you can't sort of put it into words. I'm struggling now. How how great it was to be involved with these people. You know, it was wonderful. And a massive club, and it still will be. And uh, it's you know, like I say, it's uh, it remains part of your life if you like. You know, and we had some. I mean, some of the stories, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't divulge them, but great, you know. And they're not our boys, it's just funny. People like Peter Reid was, he was wonderful manager, you know. And uh, we didn't really quite get the look, you know, we ran out of luck a little bit, you know, but I think it was a good era, that. Well, you know, I, like I say, you know, going back to it, I look for City's result every time, you know. So that's Rick Holden, former Manchester City player, played in the 90s. Great. If you didn't see him play, look him up, first of all, on YouTube. Um, mercurial left foot. Great, great cross of a ball. And as he mentioned in the interview there, uh, they had City had players like Niall Quinn playing in them days. And when you've got players, not just him, but when you've got players like that, Maybe a Haaland would have fitted in as well with, with Rick Holden. You're getting as many crosses as you can. So actually, and he, he you know he mentioned Jack Grealish there, although he seemed a little bit contradictory in what he said about one point. He said he was he needed to slow down a bit. And I'm thinking, hang on, is his is is uh, Jack Grealish's problem not that he does slow things down too much? But that's that's a different debate. But it's one I'm going to introduce now. Harland at times is screaming for the ball and Jack Grealish 
stops, cuts back, plays it back to the edge of the penalty area. Um, are City missing a trick, not just with Grealish, but generally in the way that they play, in not getting the best out of Haaland by hitting him early when De Bruyne is not in the side? I think the Grealish question, it it it, it reverts straight back to Pep being a genius because I, I am 100% convinced everything Jack Grealish does on the pitch is because Pep told him to. And if Pep says, instead of trying to beat the man and maybe risking possession, I would rather you cut back inside and retain possession and recycle the ball, then that's what Grealish is going to do. And maybe it is frustrating as a fan to watch and, and you know, you see it open up and you think, just play the ball, you know, that's the killer ball that we need to put Haaland through. But Pep isn't like that. Pep doesn't want the team taking chances when they don't need to. Pep wants to keep the ball and wait for the opportune moment. But De Bruyne, a fully fit De Bruyne, takes that chance, doesn't he, all the time? And not all of them get through. Maybe, but maybe we give more leeway to De Bruyne because of what he can do. I'm not disputing the fact that maybe we should utilise Haaland more. Maybe Grealish should be a bit braver, but I don't think that's Jack's fault or issue. I think that's Pep's issue. And again, if we we go back to that, I, I am more than happy to trust Pep in what he's doing. And if this is the game plan, and this is what Grealish was like last season, and we won the treble. So who are we to say that it's it's wrong or it should be done this way? Because at the end of the day, Pep's the one in charge. Pep's the one telling Jack how to play the game. And that's what resulted in winning so much. Adam, by all means, coming on this debate, but I'd also be interested to know whether you've got any memories of Rick Holden, whether you remember watching him play, because you are of a vintage to have seen him play, aren't you? Yeah, my memory of him is basically, yeah, long, deep crosses, very accurate crossing of the ball, not much of an engine, I would say, uh, a bit of a languid style. Uh, yeah, just visions of him just whipping whipping long crosses to the back post, really. Was he a player you enjoyed watching? Yeah, I love all, all players. I mean, I love all players in the different styles. So, yeah, I've always liked a winger. Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing but good things to say about Rick Holden. So, I mean, he mentioned there, I know you haven't heard the interview, Adam, but he, to the people who listen to the podcast, he compared Jack Grealish to John Robertson, who was at Nottingham Forest for, for a while, who played um, on the left-hand side, but he was a right-footed player. But both he and, if I can mention him, Adam Johnson, who was a, a you know, one-footed player but could use his other foot, to a point, Mares started to do that, I think, and started, although he's very left-footed, he could use his right foot a little bit. Is that where Grealish has got to develop a little bit, that occasionally he gets to the byline and puts a left-foot crossover? Well, I, I agree with Will there. I think he's doing exactly what he's been told to do. I think Pep is obsessed with with control at the moment. I don't know, having won a lot last season, whether he'll revert to this, the Cavalier football we used to play before before last season. But one thing that does interest me is there's some players seem to be allowed to only play one role or only play one position or only play one type of football. And I'm thinking, so Mares and Gundogan who've left, Grealish, uh, Kyle Walker... They they only have one job to do, and but but Pep seems to demand from every other player they play in more one, than one position. They have various tactical understanding, uh, so I find it quite interesting why somebody like Grealish always gets picked, always gets picked on the left, always allowed to just come in and, and look for the to win the free kicks or, or, or lay the ball back. Um, and in, you know even Sergio Aguero got told to develop his game by Pep. Uh, but yeah, but Grealish is one of these players which um, the, the pressure seems to be off. 
from from Pep, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure why that is. That's sort of criticism, though. Well, City pretty much made a perfect start to the season. 1-0 against a fellow top four team. 3-0 at Vinnie's Burnley. Um, won the Super Cup, albeit on penalties. Next up, Sheffield United. Um, and I would have thought, logic says, that that shouldn't be too difficult a game for City. Followed by home against Fulham before an international break. So it's pretty much going the way everybody would want from a, a blue point of view. Will, have you got any anxieties about going to Bramall Lane? Um, not. It's hard to be anxious about any game now because we showed last season we can beat every team in the, on the planet if we show up. So as long as we don't get any more injuries, I think that at this point now that is the key to keep the players that we have fit and fresh. And well, going staying on that point, I've noticed that the past two games, that the starting eleven has played the whole 90 minutes with no substitutions. And for a man who was complaining so much about game time and needing five substitutes, and he's not made any substitutes, that's a bit strange. So I I, I would almost hope we start rotating the squad now. I think Rodri, even though it's the start of the season, Rodri needs a break. Rodri cannot keep playing 90 minutes three times a week. It's just impossible. Um, so, yeah, for me, as long as we start rotating, letting other players have a go, even if it is the kids, the only kids we've got on the bench at the moment, I don't mind if they play. They need to be trusted. Yeah, for me, at the moment, it's squad management and making sure we get through to the sort of crunch point of Christmas with not too many injuries. And you must be pretty chilled, Adam, with uh, the, the start of the season. Yeah, yeah, it's gone perfectly well, but I totally agree with uh, with Will that Rodri is the, is the key there. If we, he's the most irre, irreplaceable player we have, uh, as long as he's fit. Even, even De Bruyne, who is my favourite player, even him, when he's out, we have other great players who can come in and, and take up that weight. But if Rodri were to were to disappear for a while, that would be a, a massive concern. I really don't know what's going on with Calvin Phillips. He seems so happy to be there, but he never looks in any danger of getting a meaningful minute. I'd love to know what Pep thinks of him. Um, Kovacic has come in and done well, but I still think Rodri, yeah, the, the risk of losing Rodri is, is the only possible fly in the ointment I can see at the moment. I do absolutely agree. I mean, Phil Fordham was given the man of the match against Newcastle and in many ways I can't argue with that. You know, some of his running and passing and looking for gaps was was brilliant. But Rodri, I still would have picked personally Rodri as the man of the match. I think he pulls everything together. He's so two-footed. Um, his vision, uh, one, uh, one ball that he did from the back that I don't think was really noticed by many people in such a difficult situation, play forward, typified the quality that he has. And if you go back and listen to some podcasts from a couple of years ago, I wasn't quite as fulsome in my praise of him, but he's really, really developed into some player now, uh, Rodri. And I, I, I completely agree that, particularly in the position we are at the moment without Kevin De Bruyne, uh, and with one or two injuries around and having lost Gundogan, I think he is absolutely the key player, the must-not-lose player. So, fingers crossed, and at least at this stage of the season, the games don't, you know, it'll be another three or four weeks before we start playing two games a week. So, personally, I'm quite happy with that because it's a long season. And even as a fan, you know, it's quite, it's quite tiring going to two games a week. But anyway... Uh, thanks very much to Adam, to to um, to Will, and of course to Rick Holden, who's our special guest. I won't say who it is yet, because not because it's a secret or anything like that, because 
Um, if for some reason it doesn't come off, then I feel as if I've let people down. But I have another uh, guest lined up for next week, an unusual guest who has played for City. Uh, didn't play for City for long, uh, but played quite a while ago. So he's one you won't have heard of very often. Um, so look out for that one uh, next week on the next audio podcast. Check out the, the video vlogs, of course, that I did in Greece and the one against Newcastle. Um, and thanks very much. I said I'd mention uh, Kenway, Kenway Miller Solicitors, who've become one of the vlog sponsors this year. And thanks very much to them. It's really appreciated. And uh, they are specialists in motoring offences. So if you've gone through a camera all in your phone or done something wrong or been charged falsely of something that uh, you think you haven't done, then they are your helpers. Their, their website is motoringoffencelawyers.com. So check them out, contact them. That's what they specialise in. And, of course, they are led by a City fan, and that makes all the difference. So if you do contact them, tell them you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast, and I'm sure they'll try even harder to help you. So thanks very much to everybody, um, and thanks very much for listening and all the nice comments that you make. And we'll do another podcast next week with another special guest, whoever it might be, and uh, two more members of the Forever Blue team. So have a great week. Enjoy six days off as we talk in Sunday night because it's next Sunday, Sheffield United. Enjoy your week, whatever it entails. And remember this, especially when they've got four trophies now in the cabinet. Isn't it great to be a blue?